Thank you, Ryan. And as he said, I am feeling a little bit under the weather this morning. I've got my hot tea here ready to go. I've got my manuscript in case I've just got to start reading, uh, but we should, be, we should be good. So open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 1. Uh, the title of this morning's sermon is Thoughts That Make Your Heart Sing. As Ryan said, we're going to be looking at the nativity hymns of Mary, Zechariah, the angels, and Simeon. And what we really want to try to answer is, what was it about Christmas that made their hearts sing? It's no secret, right? Christians sing. There are songs all through the Bible. Uh, There's a book called the Psalms. That was the songbook of the people of God in the Old Testament. There are 150 songs there. There are roughly 30 to 40 more songs in the Bible someplace, depending on how you categorize them. And one of the things you see as you read through God's story that Ryan talked about is that at these major events, when the people experienced the goodness and grace of God, they began to sing. Whenever Adam met Eve, and he finally had that companion that he longed for, he said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He sang. Whenever God defeated the Egyptians after the parting of the Red Sea, Moses sang a song of victory. He said, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Uh, Much later, after David had defeated the Philistines and brought the ark back into the temple, David sang a song of thanksgiving. He said, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His song. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of His salvation from day to day. In all of these songs, God's people experienced the truth about God. And they sang. Their hearts and their minds were united into an action called singing. Uh, One Christian author said, music communicates our values It anchors our feelings and it expresses our hearts. And I think singing is the same thing. It expresses our hearts, it communicates our values, and it anchors our feelings. And it's not just the biblical people that sang, but we sing now. And when people become Christians, they actually start singing. I I read an article recently, or, or I heard a story about a lady who was tasked with interviewing a pastor of a prominent church. And so to interview this pastor, she had to go to the worship service. And so she went to the worship service week after week after week. She interviewed this pastor. And then uh, after a while, she was done with the interview. So uh, she quit going to church. And then she said that uh, one night, it was a Sunday evening, and she was putting away the dishes. And as she was putting away the dishes, she found that she longed to sing the songs at church. And she went back to the church to sing, and she became a Christian. There's something about our hearts and our minds that gets transformed by the Gospel and it leads us to sing. And so as we look at these nativity hymns, I want you to ask yourself, what is it about, what is it that Mary experienced that caused her to sing? And I pray that our hearts would sing as well. So please read Mary's song along with me. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Please pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, we do thank You so much for giving us these songs, for giving us Jesus, for giving us this truth that we have, Lord. Lord God, we come this morning from all different backgrounds and all different places. Uh, We come, some of us, joyfully and thankfully. And we come, some of us, uh, feeling the weight of our own sin and feeling the misery of this world. But Lord, we pray as we immerse ourselves in the truth of Christmas, the truth about Your Son Jesus, that You would give our hearts and our minds truth that makes us sing, makes us rejoice in You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What was the thought that made Mary's heart sing? Right here at the beginning, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. You get the sense that God is getting bigger and bigger in her view. Like she has a magnifying glass on Him. And all of a sudden, what was small has now become huge. But it's not just that He's bigger, it's that He's more wonderful and she begins to rejoice in Him. She says, my soul rejoices in God. She's celebrating in Him. She says, my soul and my spirit is as if everything in her entire being is raptured up into singing about the goodness and the greatness of God. Well, why does she do that? If you look at verse 48, it starts with the word for. The word for there means because. And so she is going to give us the reason why she's singing. Who is Mary? She was a teenage girl from the town of Nazareth. She had zero power, zero clout, zero prestige, nothing. She was a nobody from a nowhere town. And yet, the angel Gabriel had came to her and said, look, you are going to have a child. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And this child is going to be the Son of God, the Most High. The Son of David. He is going to rule and reign and be the King of Israel. And then Mary explodes into joy because she knows that even though she's a nobody girl from a nobody town, God has exalted her. He has taken this humble servant and given her a place of blessing and honor. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, for He has looked upon the humble estate of His servant. For behold, now all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. So she sees that God has taken her humble self and exalted her to a great position that she didn't earn and she didn't deserve. That's why she's singing. Mary knew that the Lord of creation was the Lord that was going to live in her in some way. Think about that. The Lord of creation was going to make Himself a single cell. A single cell inside of Mary. Let me put that into perspective. 
right? If our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is the size of North America, then our entire solar system would be the size of a coffee cup. And Earth would be a speck of dust in that coffee cup. And Mary would be smaller than that speck. And Jesus would be smaller than that. What struck Mary was that the Lord of the universe who created everything was going to be inside of her. That He would humble Himself to become that small to save her and to save God's people. That truth transformed Mary and that truth transforms us. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, maybe you're a nobody from a nowhere town. Maybe you feel weak and broken and oppressed. Maybe you feel small and helpless. No matter what, the Lord of the universe became a speck for you. That's what drove Mary to rejoice. And she's not the only one who gets to experience that blessing. That blessing is for all who fear the Lord. If you look at verses 50 and 53, it says that He has shown His mercy to all who fear Him. He has shown great strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought the mighty down from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. Now, what she's doing is she's using Scripture from the Old Testament to, to sing God's praises for His rescue plan. See, God has a rescue plan. And that rescue plan is to exalt the humble and humble the exalted. That rescue plan is to confuse the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. The proud are running around trying to organize everything like they're the king and and what God does is He scatters them. They're confused and they're broken. Their plans never come to fruition. He's got the kings. The kings are on their thrones and they think that they're the ones who are ruling and reigning over all things and God says, no you're not. He takes them off the throne. The rich come to Him and they say, "Look look look at everything I have. And God says, you've got nothing. He humbles the exalted. But He exalts the humble. He takes the weak and the lowly and the despised things of this world and He raises them up and He puts them on the throne. And He takes people who have nothing. He says, come, you without money, come, buy and eat. And He satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. That's God's rescue plan. He is going to humble the exalted and He's going to exalt the humble. Pastors describe it like this. They say that there was, a, there was a, a, a tribe in a third world country and they always picked their leaders by the biggest legs. Okay? And that's because, not because they had CrossFit, but because they had a well where they had to get their water. And to get down into the well, and I actually saw a picture of this in one of Tucker's books. Today. Like This thing actually exists, right? They have to get down in the well. And to get down in the well, they, they put one leg on one side and one leg on the other side and they, they kind of step down into the well all the way to the bottom. They scoop the water in the bucket, and they have to step all the way back up with these buckets of water to bring the water to the top. So the idea is the king is the one with the strongest leg because the king is the one who has served the people the most. He's the one who's gotten down and got the most water. Well, one day there was a man in the tribe who went down to get the water. He fell, 
he hurt himself and he couldn't get up. So the people went and they got the king and they said, nobody else can get down in the well and get this man out of here. So the king took off his crown. He took off his robe. He became a common person just like everybody else. And he began to step down into the well. He got to the bottom. He grabbed the man. He put the man on his back. And then he began to carry the man up the well to safety. That's a great picture of God's rescue plan. The Lord of the universe was the only one who was holy enough and powerful enough to come and rescue us from sin. But He's also the one who loved us and was gracious enough to do it. He took off His crown. He took off His robe. And in the personal work of Jesus, He came down to rescue us from our sin. God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. And Mary's saying because she experienced that firsthand. Let me ask you this. Does that make your heart sing? That's the message of Christmas, right? The message of Christmas is that we were so broken and so sinful that God had to rescue us. But we're also so loved and so precious that God was willing to rescue us. And to the degree that we see that truth, then we'll begin to sing, Come thou long expected Jesus with joy and gladness. We'll begin to say, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. As the message of Christmas humbles and exalts us, the songs of Christmas begin to well up inside of us. And they actually begin to, to drown out the song of pride and power. See, we have songs in our heart, don't we? We have songs that we listen to. We have thoughts that generate inside our hearts and our minds and they come out in the way that we live. And oftentimes, the default mode of our heart is to have songs of pride and power. And, and I think somebody who captures that well is a 19th century poet named William Ernest Henley. Uh, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a poem. It's not necessarily a song, but I checked with Doug, and, and poems and songs are cousins, okay? So I think we can just consider this a song. But listen to this. Listen, listen to what William Ernest Henley says. This poem's called Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. Listen to this. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's the song of pride and power. That's the song of self-sufficiency and independence. And that's the song that brings sin and misery into this world. That's the song of our hearts. That's often my song. Is that your song? That's the song of somebody who puts themselves on the throne. That's the song of somebody who ruthlessly demands obedience from their children and doesn't give them grace. That's the song of somebody who refuses to compromise with their spouse. That's the song of somebody who gossips about their coworker because they don't want their coworker to look better than them. 
That's the song of a college student who lies about their GPA because they don't want to look bad. That's the song of people who engage in sexual morality because they just want to do what their feelings tell them to do. That's the song of children. Kids, this is for you. This is the song of children that disobey their parents. How dare my parents tell me what to do? They're not in charge of me. That's the song of pride and power. That's the song, honestly, that's the song in our heart that looks at our uneducated, poor, minority neighbors and just says, I'm not going to love you. That's the song of the proud. That's the song of people who exalt themselves. And that is the song that Christmas confronts. That's the song that comes in and Jesus says, you're not the king. I'm the king. Is that the song of your heart? To celebrate Christmas properly, we've got to confess that Jesus is the king and we're not. To celebrate Christmas, we've got to be like Mary. We've got to say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. To celebrate Christmas is to sing with Isaac Watts, Joy to the world! The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Not me, but her king. Let every part prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. As we sing that song and as that truth gets into our hearts, it melts the pride and power that, that consumes us. It changes our hearts and it causes us to move towards each other, towards God in love. Now, many of us Many of us have sang these songs a thousand times. We've confessed our sins. We've prayed to Jesus. We've been Christians our whole lives. And, and we, we look at the children up here singing and we think, man, they're singing with such joy. I listened to them before you guys came in here. And when you guys weren't here, they sang a lot louder because they weren't nervous. And they had smiles on their faces. And I just thought, man, I wish I could sing like them. And many of you probably think that. Even right now, as I say, we, as I imply that we ought to sing, you're sitting there going, man, but I really don't feel like singing. I would say one of the most common questions that people ask me on campus is this. I, I, I used to feel like I love Jesus, but now I don't feel like I love Him. I think it's you know the same question is kind of implied here. I used to I used to love to sing to Jesus. I used to love to worship him, but now I don't feel that. What do I do? I think the answer is I think you keep singing. I think you keep singing. And I think we need to keep singing because singing and worship is not just declarative. We're not just declaring our love for Jesus. Singing is actually formative. When you sing, you are actually being changed by the words that are coming out of your mouth. I think this is why the Apostle Paul taught the Colossian church to let the Word of God dwell richly in their hearts, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. He didn't just stop at teaching and admonishing. He added singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. He's saying that one of the ways in which the Word of God dwells in our hearts and we change 
is through singing. And so I just want to finish up with a few applications here about how I think singing these songs through the power of the Holy Spirit will change us. When we sing the Word of God, the first thing we do is we feed our souls on the promises of God. One of the interesting things about Mary's song is that most of it comes from the Old Testament and she always speaks in the past tense. Verses 50-54, through 54, almost all in the past tense. So how, how could... But, but the Savior hasn't been born. Like Jesus hasn't done what He was supposed to do yet, right? That's the future. So how can Mary talk about something that's going to happen in the future as if it happened in the past? Look at the verse here. Look at, uh, I think it's 54. She says, he has, he has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She could say that because she knew that the coming of Jesus had fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And it was so sure that the personal work of Jesus was going to rescue everything that she could speak of it as if it had already happened. And so what do we long for? We long for Revelation 21, 1-5. We long that Jesus would come and make all things new. We long that He would wipe away every tear from our eyes. There would be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. We long for families to be restored. We long for communities to be restored. We long for sick to be made well. And it is so sure that it's going to happen, we can sing about it as if it's true right now. Just like Mary did. And as we sing, we feed ourselves on those promises and we grow stronger. We can sing the Word of God together because we know we're not alone. When we sing the Word of God together, we know that we're not alone. Researchers say that when we sing, our words go out, it unites with everybody else, and then it comes back to us. And when it does, that feedback actually stimulates our brain to release hormones such as oxytocin. And that oxytocin is a good hormone that shows us that we are uniting and bonding with other people. And scientists think that that will help with depression and loneliness and anxiety. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling with those things, sing. Listen to your brothers and sisters as they sing with you. You are not alone. The Lord of the universe loves you and God's people loves you. When we sing, we feed our souls on the promises of God. When we sing, we know we're not alone. And lastly, when we sing, the Word of God reminds us that we have a God who sings over us. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Sam Storms is a pastor in Oklahoma City. He's an Acts 29 pastor. And he wrote a blog for the Gospel Coalition titled, what I wished I had known after 40 years of pastoral ministry. And he says this, I wish I had known the life-changing truth of Zephaniah 3.17 long before Dennis Jernigan introduced me to it. I'm honored when people think, thank me for writing a particular book with such comments such as, this was very helpful, or you enabled me to see this truth in a new light, or something similar. But of only one book, the singing God, which is based off Zephaniah 3.17, have people said, this changed my life. 
This isn't some vain attempt to sell more books, but a reminder that most Christians, including pastors, are convinced God is either angry or disgusted with them, or both. I wish I'd known earlier how much he enjoys singing over them and over me. The good news of Christmas is that God didn't come to save you because he was lonely and he needed a friend. And he didn't save you just so he could tolerate you. He saved you so that he could sing over you. Jesus fulfills everything in Zephaniah 3.17. It says the Lord your God is in your midst. Jesus came to live in the midst of people. It says a mighty one who will save. Jesus was the mighty one who got down in the pit and rescued us. It says He will rejoice over you with gladness. In Jesus, God looks at Jesus and says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And in Jesus, He looks at us and says, you are my sons and daughters in whom I'm well pleased. It says that He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Jesus left the throne of heaven and He came into our midst to save us from our pride and independence so that God could rejoice over us, quiet us with His love, and sing over us. The good news of Christianity is that God humbles the proud and exalts the humble because He wants to sing over you. Because He loves you. Let's pray that we would all believe that and we would sing. Gracious Father in heaven, what, what more can we say? That You would send Your Son to come and live and die to rescue us from our sin and misery so that we could sing to You and You could sing over us. Lord God, I pray that You would show us the area of our lives where we sing the song of pride and power. Help us to confess and repent. Enable us by Your Holy Spirit to believe that You have rescued us. Enable us by Your Holy Spirit to sing these truths with joy and happiness. And even if we don't feel it, Father, for those this morning who are dry and tired and sick, Lord, I pray that singing these words would feed their souls and encourage them. And let them know that they're not alone. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, thank you, Shane. We confess our faith, and this month we are looking at Zechariah.